Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here, as always, Chris Flaming, and today I have the honor of hosting Gary Altman on the show. He is the founder of a self-named estate planning practice. Gary has been recognized as a D.C., Maryland area best estate planner. He writes a blog and has authored several articles for well-known publications. With over 30 years of experience, he can successfully counsel clients in the generational transfer of wealth. Gary, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to have fun. So I, uh, I'm sure you have a very interesting backstory. I'm hoping you can just take me kind of briefly through uh, the history of what led you to where you are today. So it's a really long story, but I'm going to try to do it very shortly. <laughs> That's good. Okay. Okay. So I, I became a lawyer in 1980, uh, and I really wanted to do public policy. But Due to a political problem, it didn't work out. And I tried to figure out what else I would do in my life. And tax work and estate planning interests me a lot because of my family. Okay, There are a lot of incidents in my family where things didn't work out right. One of them was my father and his mother. So that when my grandmother died, she left her assets basically equally to my father and his sister. What he didn't know and what my grandmother did not realize was that her biggest account, a $1.7 million bank account, was titled jointly with my aunt, my father's sister. So she got 1.7 and my father and her split the sale of a house for $500,000. So he got 250 and she got close to 2 million. Mm -hmm. In the same will, I was left a $10,000 bequest, but I only received $7,533. When I asked the lawyer why, he said I had to pay my share of the taxes and expenses. I asked him, did my grandmother know that when she left me $10,000, it only meant $7,533? There was silence on the end of the line. So what I realized was that people, lawyers, don't ask questions. They assume and they don't make sure assets are titled correctly. Mm -hmm. So we have tried in my practice to ask every question and to make sure every asset is titled in coordination with the estate plan. Okay. All right. So then I guess that's what kind of led you into the areas of your practice that you focus on. Um, because of that personal experience, you didn't want that to happen to other people? Correct. Is that what you're kind of, okay. All right. So then I guess if you could go back in time when you first started your business, when you first started the law practice, you have a lot of life experience now. Is there maybe something that you, if you could go back in time, you would tell the younger you? 
about either running the business or how you built it or how you serve people? Some advice for the younger you, if you can go back in time. The advice would be to hire the best staff you can find mm. and overhire. So have an extra person around so that no matter what comes up, you're able to deal with the situation quickly, efficiently, and effectively. Okay. And so what were the, so I'm guessing then why you're saying that is, is maybe, and I think a lot of people, myself included, run into that problem where you're not overhiring or not staying a little bit ahead of where you should be from a staffing standpoint. So what did you kind of see as being the, what were the negative consequences of not doing that? I mean, I, I have some in my experience, but what did you find? So I'm very fortunate and we have been busy from day one, maybe over busy. And the consequences is that sometimes client needs don't get satisfied as quickly as they should. Mm -hmm. Or new clients can't get into an appointment for, again, this is a good thing for me, but maybe not for the clients for 30 or 45 days. Mm -hmm. And so if we had more staff able to manage the workflow when I was, especially early on, Mm -hmm. we would have been able to work with more clients faster, effectively, efficiently. All right. That's well said. I like that. So are there some particular areas of your practice that you are finding the most satisfying right now? Well, what I really like to do is talk to people. I really like to find out the story behind the family find out what motivates them, what problems they had. And then I try to figure out the solution for them at death to make sure the wealth transfers efficiently with the least amount of tax and hassles as possible. So I just love talking to people. Okay. Yeah. I think in your business, as is in mine, if you don't enjoy people in the relationships, it's not going to work out very well. Question. And you have to listen first. Right. Second. Yes, exactly. And it, it's so hard sometimes to be listening, but not hearing. And then you're trying to think of what you're going to say and tuning that voice out of, you know, thinking about what you're going to say next. That's good. So do you guys have an ideal client for your practice? What, or maybe what would be an ideal client that you would serve? So I get asked that question a lot. And my first answer is we do everything in estate planning that most people need. Okay. However, most of our clients have some complexity in their lives. And what I mean by complexity is tax complexity. Okay. Um, there's an income tax or an estate tax concern, family complexity. Maybe there's a special needs child or mm-hmm. a child with drug or alcohol addiction, or you just don't like your daughter's husband, spouse. Right. Okay. Or there's a complex asset, a family vacation home in Nantucket. Mm -hmm. And we have to make sure it passes the right way so that the kids don't kill each other after mom and dad die. Yeah, because we know when uh, money's involved and emotions can run high, right? Oh, today's world, people are apt to get upset over anything, no matter how big or small. We've had fights over photographs, clothing, anything you can imagine, and dollars as well. Yeah. Well, that's probably, that says something about where we are in society, but that's a different topic for a different podcast. Totally, yes. (laughs) 
Okay, so now there's probably some, well, I'm just curious your opinion on this. So a lot of times when you work with someone, I'm sure they say at the end when you get done and you've helped them, they say, I wish I would have done this sooner or we should have came to you sooner. Or you probably find a lot of times that when you start working with somebody that they could have done some of this estate type planning, especially when they have complexity before. So what what is your take on from a human nature standpoint? Why do you think people kind of procrastinate or put it off or why do they say that at the end? You know, we should have done this before. We had to wait this long. Well, first off, no one wants to think about dying. Okay, it's true. And what I do for the most part is a discretionary expense. So especially in high inflationary times, dollars are tight and people don't necessarily want to spend the money Mm. to do planning correctly. Mm. They're smart enough to know they don't want to do it incorrectly. So I think they just wait sometimes too late. I like to say it's better to plan early and often. You want to plan when you really know what you want to do, not when your mind is stressed with an illness that's going to come up. When you have a tax problem, it's really important to plan early. You know, I can save tremendous amounts of income and estate taxes if I'm given time. Yeah. But people just procrastinate. My favorite story of this whole thing is I told the, I tell every business client, before you sell, call me well before you sell. Mm-hmm. So about f- 10 years ago on a Sunday night, I got a phone call from a client and he said, Gary, you've always told me if I'm going to sell my business to call you. I said, you're right. And he said, well, I'm selling it tomorrow. Right. What can we do to save taxes? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, sell it, get your money, and then we can talk. It's a little too late to do anything beforehand. Right. So. Yeah. That's like, uh, I have people that call me and, hey, I've decided that I'm going to retire. Okay, well, when are you going to do it? Well, I, I'm putting in my notice. It's next week. <laughs> and I've right. never met her or anything. I just got, you know, I, I got your name from my friend at work and she said you could help me. <laughs> Planning needs time. Yeah, need time. Yeah. Well, and I think the tough thing for people that connect is, especially in the case of what you do, the money they save over the long run in doing the planning early and often far exceeds any expense that they might pay in the value that they would receive from the work that you do. But it's hard, I think, for people, because you say it's a discretionary expense, for them to make that connection. It's very, very hard to make that connection. I mean, I had a client die recently. She had a family lake house and a house she lived in in a couple hundred thousand dollars. Not a big client, Okay. But literally, she died. I had a one brief phone conversation with her son, who's in charge. I didn't have to do anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was all set up beforehand correctly, and it just happened. Yeah. Right. You know? I mean, you know, if I plan correctly, I will make less money when someone dies than if it's planned incorrectly. Yeah. Well, and that's that. the goal. That's the goal. And that is the goal. Right. So... A lot of people get this misconception that estate planning is only for people that have wealth. So why do you consider it so important for everyone to do some level of either basic or complex estate planning? Why is that so important? The easiest way to explain is with examples mm-hmm. of people who didn't plan. Right. Okay. Examples um, of what not to do. What not to do. But I will tell you that if someone has a one child and that child is 
well-adjusted, has a good job, has no issues or concerns. It's simple. Mm -hmm. And you don't necessarily need to do complex planning. Mm -hmm. But if, on the other hand, you don't have children, you have nieces and nephews, or you have a child who has problems not doing planning is a disaster. Mm -hmm. We're working with one estate right now where the gentleman died. He did not have a will. Mm -hmm. He only had nieces and nephews and siblings. The siblings were old. Okay. There ended up being a lawsuit because someone claimed he was married (laughs) and It took so long that the two people who were in charge died. So now we have to get someone new appointed and it's a mess. Okay. It's just a mess. You know, on the other hand, you know, I had a a lady who had no kids, no heirs. She did, she did planning. She died. She wanted it all to go to charity. It all went to charity pretty Mm -hmm. simply. Yeah. Okay. It's, the more you move away from one child who's not married, yeah. doesn't have any problems, the more you move away from that, the bigger the problem will be when someone dies. Right. If they the don't more, do good planning. Yeah. The more complex it is or the more it could get goofed up. Yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, you can have someone who has, a, a, you know, $500,000 who has a child with special needs. They got to do planning. Mm-hmm. You can have someone, you know, depends on where you live. You know, with a half a million dollars and no no kids. And, you know, if you live in D.C., it's a disaster if you don't have a document. Mm-hmm. It will take years to get it done. Yeah. Well, in the pandemic uh, kind of extrapolated that even further with things getting delayed and hearings and being put off and, and legal considerations. So let's switch topics just a little bit. I want to talk about um incapacity so and considerations around that so let's just start with what incapacitation is just broadly defined what is that so broadly defined that means you cannot make a financial or medical decision for yourself okay okay it could be or it could be that you are unable to sign a document mm-hmm. or unable to verbally express your wishes okay Okay. Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you're deaf it doesn't mean you're mute it doesn't mean you're disabled it means that you are unable to make the decisions for yourself okay and in the case of someone who has incapacity who is incapacitated what then has to be planned for and what are some common tools that accomplish that so you obviously don't want to wait until the person's incapacitated, right? That of course you want to uh, if you wait until someone's incapacitated, the only way for someone to be able to make decisions for that person is called a guardianship or conservatorship. Yeah. The name varies depending on what state someone's in. But basically, someone goes to court and says, I want to make decisions for this person. Mm-hmm. You know, it could end up being a fight among family members or not. Yeah. Um, but it's an expensive proceeding you then have to account for what you do every year Mm -hmm. there are people who specialize in being guardians you know and just you know make these decisions for people but it's both medical and financial decisions right and 
to avoid that, okay, people need two documents, absolutely, and maybe a third, okay? They need a power of attorney, and they need a medical directive, okay? And this could be for your child who turns 18, mm-hmm. okay? Or it could be for someone who's 87 years old and is starting to get Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. okay? The other, the, the other technique people use is a trust, Generally, it's called a revocable or living trust. Mm-hmm. So it, it's something that can be changed, but it allows you to name someone to make financial decisions over the assets owned by the trust without really any hassle whatsoever. Okay. And, yeah. And those are things that are done in advance, of course. In advance. Right. The other yeah. thing that's done in advance is people get worried about someone taking advantage of themselves. Mm-hmm. So in today's world, people are scammed all the time. There are men or women who try to take money from someone. Or every, Probably almost everyone who listens to this has had a phone call from someone who purports to be from the IRS. I'm going to tell you right now, the IRS doesn't make phone calls. So don't believe that person when they say you owe money or you get a phone call from someone who says your grandchild is in jail and they need money right now. It's all scams. Okay, Everyone can be scammed. And sometimes we do irrevocable trusts to help protect against the scams or, you know, and in your world, you use a trustee contact. Mm-hmm. which is really important for people to do, you know, if you're worried about being scammed or taken advantage of, which happens the older we get, the more isolated we become. Yeah. And, and the probably the propensity to maybe be persuaded or talked into or scammed by somebody that might sound like they have our interests in mind, but they really don't. Correct. Correct. I have clients tell me, you know, their mother, father has been scammed out of 10, 20, 50, $100,000, you know, yeah. More than more than I think when I ever think. So well, and it could even be, I mean, there's even cases of actual family members doing that. You know what I mean? Taking advantage, right? Correct. Family members, it's a little harder with family members to protect against mm-hmm. because you want to trust your son or daughter and you have to trust someone. Uh, but sometimes you do you have a check and balance there. Mm-hmm. Name two people you know, or name an independent person, you know, there are ways to protect yourself from even your own family. Yeah. Trustee or something like that. Exactly. Correct. Okay. Okay. So that kind of leads into something else I wanted to ask you about in this estate planning world. A lot of times people will have either retirement plans, 401ks or IRA specifically, and those have to be uh, planned around or accounted for when the estate transfers. So how does IRA and tax IRAs and tax planning kind of fit into your estate plans? And what is unique or what do people need to be aware of when it comes to IRAs as it refers to the transfer of wealth? The SECURE Act, which was uh, adopted in 2020, changed the landscape for distributions from retirement accounts. And the SECURE Act created five new categories of beneficiaries called eligible beneficiaries. Those eligible beneficiaries are still still able when the participant or owner of the IRA dies to withdraw over their lifespan. Everyone else is now limited to a 10-year withdrawal. Planning with IRAs is really making as a consideration as to 
who should be the beneficiary. And if the beneficiary is going to be a trust, a trust for someone who has special needs, a trust for someone who is addicted to alcohol, a trust for someone who you want to protect the money from creditors, predators, divorces, bad marriages, lawsuits, things like that. Then you have to structure the trust correctly. And the trust, if structured correctly, will also have a 10-year payout. Mm -hmm. The other consideration is charitable. Um, If you're going to give $100,000 to charity, it's better to do it from your IRA than from your cash assets because the charity doesn't pay income tax, but your kids or other heirs do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So sometimes we put IRAs, the beneficiary, to be a charitable trust. Again, it depends on the charitable intent of the client. Yeah, and that, that's an important distinction when they're giving it to charity versus a person receiving it, because depending on the size of the IRA and the size of the distributions and the amount of time that they have to take them out, that can be a huge difference in the tax consequence. Correct. And it really depends on the size of the IRA. You yeah. know, a, you know a, if your IRA is $100,000 and you have three kids, generally going to just leave them directly the mm-hmm. beneficiary. If your IRA is a million dollars and you want to give a lot of money to charity, it's a great tool to use. It's so much dependent upon the goals of the client, the size of the IRA, and the other assets. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. I appreciate that, Gary. Okay. So let's kind of switch into another direction. You have had some experience in the past with kind of helping veterans with estate planning or your practice does. So are there some unique considerations there or things that you feel like are important um, for veterans to consider maybe around the benefits that they could receive or something like that when you're doing estate planning with them? So the unique benefit that veterans who served in a war and were honorably discharged Mm -hmm. is something called an aid in attendance benefit, which is a sum of money that will be paid to the veteran for care someone coming into the house as the veteran gets older. The kicker is, is that the veteran can't have any assets. Okay. Yeah. So they have to spend those down. You either have to spend those down or you can create a trust Mm -hmm. and that trust could hold the assets for the benefit of the veteran and his family, Mm -hmm. but won't necessarily be counted against the veteran for this aid and attendance benefit. Okay, which that is the better solution. That is absolutely the better solution. Yeah, than spending the money down, right? Yeah, and as opposed to in Medicaid, where you can do that, it's a five-year look back. Mm -hmm. In the veterans planning, there is no look back period. Okay, okay. So that's either waived or it doesn't apply. Doesn't apply. They could do the trust planning and move assets over and still not, they wouldn't have to wait five years um, in terms of seeking out the aid. Right. Okay. The difficulty most veterans have is, or families of veterans have, is getting the discharge papers, the honorably, I mean, it's, you have to have that paperwork. Yeah. You know, serving in a war is pretty easy to prove, but it's the getting the, the dishonorable discharge paper, honorable discharge paper, is sometimes time is time intensive. That I mean, another topic for a podcast, but that seems crazy to me that there that wouldn't be electronically and easily accessible in the 
the government databases or whatever in the military, but I digress. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're getting kind of we're getting close to the end. I want to ask you a few more questions. What do you see as the biggest opportunity going forward in the future of your practice? Well, you know, people believe that the artificial intelligence and computers will allow people to do everything Mm -hmm. from drafting their own will to maybe cutting their hair or learning how to fix their car to do everything. And therefore, they won't need professionals like you or me to help them navigate the complexities of life. Mm I think back to the 1980s when I hear that, when something called TurboTax first hit. Mm-hmm. And at that point, everyone said CPAs would go out of business because everyone would be able to do their own income tax return. If you fast forward 20, 30 years, what you've learned is that CPAs are busier than ever. Mm-hmm. because the tax code is more complex. And what has happened is you can categorize people in, in thirds. A third of the people will want to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, Some people may want to use Vanguard to invest, but use a lawyer to draft their will. Some people will want a professional like you to help them plan, and but will go onto LegalZoom to draft their own will. Mm-hmm. Some people will do it themselves, maybe a third or 40% of the population. Another third are too busy. They're just too busy or they just don't want to. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have many lawyers as clients, intelligent people, but they know what they can do and what they can't do. And they'd rather have a professional do it. Mm -hmm. And then the other third is too complex. They just have too complex a situation. Maybe that's only 20%. Maybe it's 40, 40. I don't know. And so we are trying to focus our practice on that, the two parts of the world who really need our services or want our services. That's why we work with mostly our clients have complexity Mm -hmm. because it's the complex people who will always need our services and we'll need someone like me or my staff to help them plan for their families. Yeah. Well, and I've said this before on previous shows, the way I think about it is, is the artificial intelligence and the internet are full of information. So there is a plethora of knowledge out there. What we don't have is the wisdom, right? Which is how to apply it. You don't have the wisdom or the experience, correct? And so far, I mean, a lot of the things that they thought were going to get figured out with an algorithm or AI or something, some of those have had some pretty bad consequences. I could think of the financial crisis in 07 and 08 and some other ones that that haven't worked out real well. Right. And the other, you know, the other aspect of it is when people do it themselves, they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Well, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And so, you know, the part of my practice that deals with controversy after someone dies is just growing. Yeah. And it that is, you know, we may not do the planning, mm-hmm. but we'll end up doing the controversy work, which I'm going to tell you, 
is so much more expensive yeah. than planning right. right. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You know? So well, and that makes the point of kind of what we're talking about, which is if this stuff is done early and often, like a lot of things in life that are important, then you can avoid a lot of the headaches and a lot of the costs. It's not just the money, it's also the relationships and everything else that goes along with it that could be ruined as well. Right. So I will I want to tell you one story when you say that. A really good friend of mine, the mother died, left her beach house to her three daughters equally. Mm. Very typical. One daughter decided she wanted to move there full time. Okay. Okay. So she was going to buy her sisters out. Everyone's agreed. They get an appraisal. Everyone agrees on the appraisal. All fine and dandy until one day the sister needs to borrow money to buy the house. So the lender gets an appraiser. And guess what? That appraisal and the appraisal the sisters got was different. Yeah. So the sister was buying and says, well, I only want to pay what the appraisal says. Okay. My friend would cost her $33,000. Not relevant. Okay. Mm -hmm. But she's offended that her sisters backed off on her deal. So I told her, I said, look, your husband goes to the football game with her husband every week. You have Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner every year with your sister and her family. Okay. If you don't resolve this in a way that you're going to like each other, your life is going to change and it's going to be worse because you'll lose that relationship, which you've had and your husband's had and your kids have had for 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know to this day, this is about 10 years ago. I don't know to this day how they resolved it. I really don't. But the year after this, my friend called me up and said, can you come to Thanksgiving? Because I want a buffer between me and my sister just in case. <laughs> but they now go to on vacation. So it's all okay. fun. They worked okay. it out. And I think it's important for people to realize that if you want a relationship with your sibling after your parents die, you have to compromise Mm -hmm. because you're not going to get everything you want. And someone's going to be offended about something. And you've got to decide what's more important, a couple extra dollars or the relationship. Right. That's great. I love how you said that. Okay. So on the flip side of that, ask you about your biggest opportunity. What do you kind of see as your biggest challenge facing the practice or the business? An obstacle maybe yet to overcome? Talent. Staff. Okay. It is really hard today to find individuals who want to work hard and learn and not just think they know it off the bat. Mm -hmm. I've been very fortunate. I have incredible staff. Okay, who some of them who have been with me for 25, 27 years. So, but we're looking for the future, mm-hmm. how to continue this. And to do that, I need really talented people. And I think that is the challenge for everyone out there mm-hmm. is how do you find folks who are dedicated, who want to work hard, who care about what they do and are willing to learn to do it the right way? Yeah. I think that's across all professional services, everyone, organizations and jobs. Yeah. And it's everyone. kind of a, it's time. It's kind of a first time in several years type of thing. Usually you had your pick of the litter and now it's very competitive and, and having the people that find that have that mindset you just described. 
Right. So we have gone to hiring people with unusual backgrounds. Okay. So I hired a lawyer who had stopped practicing because she raised kids for 10 years. I hired a lawyer who was not yet licensed in the U.S. because she came from Australia. Mm. But she's now licensed in the U.S. And she really helps us with international tax matters. Mm. I actually have a professor of law who works part time for me. You know, so a professor of law of estate planning It's pretty, you know, I mean, pretty knowledgeable. He was looking for some extra work and. You know, he decided we would the firm for him. Mm-hmm. Um, none of those are normal hires. Right. So, yeah, you almost have to look out of the box or be open to different type of not relationships, but different type of backgrounds, different, different types that of, people want to work. And you got to be flexible. You know, right. people have kids. They need to be home one or two days a week. That's OK. Yeah. You know, they have to leave early. That's OK. I've always felt that. But now it's even more important. Mm hmm. That's so true. So, Gary, if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what is the best way for them to do that? Is it to go to your company's website? Well, so the website is a great way to learn about us. We have a lot of great content on our website. Um, The website is altmanassociates.net, A-L-T-M-A-N-A-S-S-O-C-I-A-T-E-S.net. On the website is my email address, our phone number. It's displayed, I think, on every page. Okay. Um, I can't stand going on a website trying to figure out who to call or contact. So our website says it on every page. Easiest way to do that is just go there, send me an email, ask me a question. I do respond sometimes the day, same day, sometimes the day after, but I but we respond to every email, every phone call. Awesome. Okay. So everybody go to the website there to check out Gary and his practice. Gary, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a true pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we hope to raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Everybody be well. Thank you for watching and listening and take care. We will see you next time. Thanks, Gary. Well, thank you for having me as a guest. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.